You are now listening to The Junk and Jam Hour, a live talk radio broadcast, only on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now for your on-air host, Christopher Albert. Hello guys, you are listening to The Junk and Jam Hour, right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Of course, I am your host. Christopher Albert. Uh, radio Free Brooklyn is the nonprofit community organization and freeform internet radio station streaming original content by New York City artists and broadcasters 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Of course, it is Radio Free Brooklyn's goal to empower and amplify the otherwise unheard voices within our communities. On the Junket Jam Hour, it is my objective to share and highlight the artistic and creative journeys behind the very impressive projects and contributions of some of today's most talented, groundbreaking artists, entrepreneurs, and professionals of all kinds, all of whom work so hard to bring you all joy. So I'm just trying to spread that joy back to them. Now, my very special guest today is a masterful, elegant, impeccable performing artist, And that is no accident. She studied and trained in classical vocal technique and performance at the renowned Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts here in New York City, which many will recognize as the very institution in which the dramatic film, TV, and stage production of fame was based off of and because one is never enough. She also earned a double bachelor's of fine arts in theater acting and music vocal performance from the California Institute of the Arts. Since then, her vocal prowess and sheer magnetism has been recognized by music's elite, earning her coveted gigs, including background singing for Patti LaBelle, Josh Groban, Kirk Franklin, CeCe Winans, and Karen Clark Sheard, proving that if Jesus is a love song, then she is certainly his muse. She's also enjoyed the honor of performing on stages worldwide, y'all. In 2017, she was a principal background vocalist for Spencer Ludwig and served as the opening act for B.B. Rexa on her All Your Fault national and international tour and as a step dancer has toured over 10 Australian, Australian, Australian states (laughs) as an artiste of the theater. She has not (laughs) only lent her voice but acting skills to several regional stages and productions, including Ghost and The Wiz. And guess what, y'all? She played Dorothy. And though I didn't have the luxury of seeing her in it myself, I am wholeheartedly convinced that she made easing down the road look and sound really good. Miss Ross can't be the only boss. Now, in the marvelous world, of Off-Broadway. She has also starred in the Off-Broadway Alliance nominated for Best Family Show Award, A Band of Angels. She played Ronette in A Little Shop of Horrors at the Ivoryton Playhouse. She played Lainey in the Patrick Vessel-directed Two Rooms. And just prior to the pandemic, she had (laughs) the honor of portraying Mamie Till in the Off-Broadway production of Till, the musical which recounted Emmett Till's short, stolen life told through the eyes of those closest to him, which she 
again by no accident, was nominated for Outstanding Lead Performance at the 2019 New York Music Festival. I'm not done yet, guys. <laughs> because she's not. As someone who is dedicated to using her gifts and talents to affect change, spread light, and uplift all those she encounters, she has graciously put the time and energy into the founding of the independent art organization, Heart, Healing Expressions Through Art, which specializes in vocal and performance coaching for youth and young adults. Heart is not only devoted to developing, enhancing, and fine-tuning the artistic abilities of the youth, but also aims to help spread a message of hope, resilience, and change through the use of artistic gifts. And of course, we're gonna make her do it. She's gonna talk about her lovely lead role in the upcoming short film being released this spring entitled Diving in Stilettos First by our good friend, of course, Shantae Dunbar. Now, as LL Cool J would say, <laughs> she represent Queen, but was raised out in Brooklyn. That's because she's doing it, y'all, and she's doing it well. Calling in from Queens, let us welcome performing artist, <laughs> singer, actress, teaching artist, activist, and founder of Healing Expressions Through Art, the incredible Danielle Marie Gray. Hey, Danielle. Wow, that was the most amazing introduction that I've ever had. That's so, all hey. you, boo. <laughs> As always, we have lots to cover. So now, first of all, you don't know this, but I too was raised out in Brooklyn a decade before you, though. Um, <laughs> you're in good company. Uh, other little black and brown girls who were raised out in Brooklyn were Foxy Brown, Stephanie Mills, Little Kim. What was the vibe growing up in Brooklyn uh, in the 90s, right? As a beautiful um, black girl such as yourself. <laughs> well, a little different. Bedside was not the uh, newly gentrified Bedford yeah, Stuyvesant. Do or die. Now. Okay. Um, it was a little different. <laughs> I wasn't really hanging outside in the streets. I could stay on my stoop and that was about it. I was in church a lot. Yes. Uh, singing yes. in church, rehearsals for shows. Um, but I just always loved the climate of Brooklyn. It was always yes. very familial and, and just community-based. Um, yes. And I miss that. I miss yes. I really miss that. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll talk about that because I want to talk about what was that decision. But first, mm -hmm. you brought up a good point. You were raised in the church. Your father was a reverend. Hey, Dad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, again, in good company, Aretha Franklin, Nina Simone, the Pointer Sisters. Mm -hmm. grew up with fathers who were either pastors, reverends, or preachers. What was one specific thing that your father instilled in you, whether it be about identity, faith, or life, that was so profound that you still carry that ideal with you today? Um, well, my father always said, you know, remember who you are and who you are. Ooh. And when he said it to me when I was younger, I was like, okay, yeah, like, I you know, I'm your, yeah. I'm your daughter, like, <laughs> I love Jesus, you know, but it, it's something that resonates with me and I, I use it over and over to speak to other people. I use it to speak to myself and knowing who you are, especially growing up in the industry, like not growing up, but especially um, being an artist in the entertainment industry and not being swayed or moved because you don't fit 
this mold or yes. because you didn't book this job or feeling that you're not good enough. Remember who you are and that you are gifted with your gift, whatever God has given you or, you know, whatever you believe in, but whatever you have been instilled in, in you is yours and yours alone. Nobody else can take that from That's you. That's right. And then remember who you are. So that that means on a spiritual level, but also on a natural level. Like my father was like, you know, you're a king's kid. Like you're my kid, but you also... Well, well, in terms of who you are, when you're outside, mm-hmm. you're not just representing yourself. Right. You're representing oh, us. Yeah. And that was always a thing, which sometimes, you know, growing up was, was difficult because I felt like I always had to be perfect and polished and put together. And so I went through this rebellious phase of like... Sure, show your ass a little. Because <laughs> I was like, well, I'm a curse because that's just, I don't have to be perfect and... But this wasn't even, that's not who I was. That was me just. Yeah, but you're a child. Yeah. You know? Um, But yeah, there was always this having to keep it together, having to represent your parents, you know? I was like, y'all, I am who I am. Now, the church has always heavily influenced, as you say, your life and informed your music. How so? Um, well. (laughs) um, Well. Honestly, singing in church gave me the confidence to to uh, the confidence and the resilience. Because I'll tell you one thing, growing up singing in the church, like people will support you, but if you don't sound good, black church is a little different. Um, and so, but I don't make me take off my hat. <laughs> <laughs> I was always really encouraged. I was really encouraged growing up in church, and and. Faith wound up being my grounding for everything. And I say that, I'm like, my, my faith is who I am. I never yes. have lost faith. In spite of everything I've gone through, in spite of every no that I have heard, I've always been able to rest assured in my faith. And I'm like, well, you know what? It didn't happen this time, but I trust and believe that it will happen in the time that it's supposed to happen. Yes. Yes. So growing up in church, it, it established, it allowed me to establish faith on my own. So when we think of contemporary gospel music, you have shared the stages with the creme de la creme <laughs> of them all, including Kirk Franklin and C.C. Winans, with who I love. But please, can you just tell us all how exciting was it to be afforded the opportunity to perform with Miss Karen Clark Sheard? Oh, gosh. I was terrified. She's incredible. Like... The way someone may look at, well, this generation now, I don't know if they see like Taylor Swift. That's how I felt about yes. Karen Clark Sheard. First of all, let me but, tell you that finally Karen album in 1997 was out of this world, and I was in, I was touring with the New York Boys Choir, so we were ready. We were ready for yes. Talk about the anointed anointing others through song, right? I mean, if mm. Je- if Jesus could sing the way Karen sings, he'd probably <laughs> still be alive, right? <laughs> I hope oh, I didn't God. offend anyone. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Her get, like, you want to talk about somebody who just drips anointing? Like, open, and just the sweetest, just the sweetest woman. Yes. And I was just a little background singer. Like, I, she didn't have to... She didn't know me from Hill of Beans. She didn't have right. to be nice to me. No. But she was. And I always appreciate Genuine. celebrities 
authentic. When they're genuine. Like when, you know, I'm not saying you got to hug everybody. No, your face is your face. But like, I appreciate when somebody that I look up to and, and uh, admire or aspire to, to be like in some way is genuinely kind. And like, you know, just a good yeah. person. Yes. Um, and I was still, I was in high school at the time. Um, my church used to, used to host the gospel super fest. That's amazing. So that's when I was afforded these opportunities to sing background for all these incredible gospel artists. And so like, we just be learning these songs for weeks. And then finally on show day, after we've now learned these 50 songs, yeah. and you're like, Oh my gosh, they're here. I have to do everything perfect. You know, and she was just like, oh, it's not that baby. Y'all sang it back there. Like, it was just us. Oh, it was such an amazing Well, because the most important thing is not whom is the messenger, it's the message. I'm on somebody. And she's someone who understands that. And yeah. it doesn't have to just be gospel, it's yeah, music. 100%. You're affecting people in a way that can change someone's life you are articulating words and putting it into melody in which they would never, probably wouldn't have been able to articulate themselves. And now you're saying, you know, you're able to put these words and, and feelings into a song. It's amazing. It's a song. That's why the musical theater. Like that's, yes. that's why my heart was always drawn to theater and musical theater in particular, because music is, is like the catalyst for the words. When words aren't enough, they're songs and musical theater allows for that and it's not gospel you know what i mean like when i when i'm on it can stage be singing, it can be anything it, it can yeah. be but when i portrayed mamie pill the reason why that role was so life-changing i mean aside from the fact that i was portraying the mother who was in her 20s who lost a, her 15 year old son and yes. just thought she was sending him off for a vacation yes. and, and, and we'll talk about Mamie because first the husband dies then she gets married and has to get divorced again because she was in an abusive relationship and now she's like forget it I'm just gonna put all my attention and affection into my son into my, son. my black son in my Chicago son at the time, right? But how did you personally, whether as a child or as an adult, feel like your life was made better because of your faith? Man, oh man, I always say, I don't know, I don't want to know what my life would be without God. Me personally, I never impressed my faith upon anyone, but I have never been so sure of something in my life. My faith is literally the one thing that I can hold on to that is unwavering, that has never steered me wrong. And I know it sounds cliche and so many people say it. And, Cliches are true, by the way. They always end up being like, true. I, I, I don't know what, I just don't know the trajectory my life would have taken if I wasn't grounded in my faith. If I didn't believe in something greater than me. Because the, the oh God, the things that, that have come up against just me, like me personally, but also me on a worldly, um, you know, like I, I, I can't even, on an expand, more expansive level. Like if I didn't have faith that God is going to work it out, that all things are going to work together for my good, that things happen to the, I would have lost my mind. I wouldn't be here. Yeah. I wouldn't be here. In this present climate, with this pandemic and everything that has gone on and the loss and the grief and the... If I did not believe Five. that God is still in control. Yeah, 100,000 alone in the United States. And 
we grieve for all of those who have, you know, lost loved ones and, yeah. you know, who would love to still be here. They would love to wear a mask right now. <laughs> Even if you're not religious, which I'm not. The point mm -hmm. of it is, it gives you a foundation to be a better person, not just for yeah. yourself, but for others. For others, absolutely. Because we're not absolutely. here alone and we don't get through it alone. While in no way am I questioning your faith, Mm -hmm. Is faith, can faith just be looked at as another way of providing yourself with life affirmations, right? A guide, you know, a, it, it's to guide you through life. It's just another tool to help you live your best life. Absolutely. One of the tools available. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't, I never will um, knock anyone for any, 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 any practice, any thing that brings you clarity, peace, inspiration, like whatever it is for you, that's what it is for you. You yeah. know, like it, it doesn't have to be your connection to a, a, a God. Some people meditate, some people use the rock, some people use the, whatever it is that is your grounding and your healing and your peace, that's your faith. Whatever, whatever system <laughs> of belief, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Your voice, no doubt, is a true gift from the heavens, Danielle. Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about your journey to perfecting it, right? So you went to LaGuardia High School. You studied classical vocal technique and performance. So I, obviously, there was an audition process, right? Tell us about that. I mean, one of your first forays into this journey. Oh, my gosh. Um, my audition for LaGuardia. I think I, I prepared home, Love the it. Stephanie Mills version, Absolutely. and His Eyes on the Sparrow, because here we are. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> and we had to do an ear training where right. they would play a, me uh, a melody. You have to sing it back Testing to your pitch. Yeah, yeah. Testing your pitch. Then we had to do rhythm, where someone would clap ah. out a rhythm, mm -hmm. and you have to clap the rhythm back. And it's so funny because in hindsight, I look at the metronome like, test. Yeah, yeah, you're in a metronome. Oh my gosh, this is so this is so simple. It was fine, but I was really terrified. But I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And so I walked into that room, and I took a breath, and I opened my mouth, and I sang. And yes. the teacher that that wound up running my audition became a mentor. He he passed this past 2020, but he became a mentor of mine for like the rest of my life. Um, and I remember him just being like, don't give me all the extra, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> right, like, be in that moment. Okay. But that was, that was my LaGuardia. I love that. Yes. LaGuardia definitely set the uh, foundation for me. Like I, I really am grateful that I was afforded the opportunity to go to LaGuardia. Did you did going to high school in the city full of artists, oftentimes misfits of the world, we view the world a little differently, right? We're a little more colorful. Uh -huh. um, did that open you up to other ideas, ideals, and views that were previously that you were not exposed to? Oh, absolutely. I learned about different genders, cultures, religions. Um, just, I met so many multifaceted people and we were young, we were kids. Right. So it was really, really cool to be surrounded by 14 to 18 year olds who were discovering who they were, some very sure of who they were. Like it was just this melting pot of of people and in the heart of the city. 
Talent, Expr- like, just inspiration every day. I was so inspired. I loved high school. Yeah. I, lo- I literally loved, loved high school. It makes me so sad. I didn't have that. Yeah. I loved going to school. I, of course, at the end of like, you know, like, oh, I don't play good homework, but my, my performance classes and just being with other artists. So so I used to get this a lot. You think you're bougie because you go to the school in the city? Yes. Oh, yes. All the time. <laughs> oh, you know, especially because LaGuardia is across the street from Martin Luther King. Yeah, oh, oh, yes. Metal detector. Yes. <laughs> we Girl, that is literally my next question because you know we know <laughs> Alvin Ailey used to be by there too. Did you ever get harassed, robbed by MLK student? students but no, for, no. for the audience by the way that's not a racist question that's just a factual inquiry <laughs> oh no this is factual because they always are picking fights with LaGuardia students yeah thankfully I don't know I was covered I was protected I also was friends with all the upperclassmen I didn't have any issues there were no yes. fights for um, nothing nobody was provoking not, not, me yeah but it was yeah it was there it was some sad. stories yeah they used to throw eggs off the building yes. and I was doing fire drills <laughs> like, Craziness, but because we didn't have those experience too, right? That doesn't mean that you have any disdain for your MLK peers across the street. It's just different, different experience. They wanted to be at our school. They wanted to be at your school. (laughs) They wanted to be at LaGuardia. So you had a double. You got your double bachelor's of fine arts in uh, theater acting and music vocal performance from the California Institute of the Arts. What was it about that school that made you want to travel west, pick up and go? Well, one, I didn't want to stay in New York for school because I felt that, and this is, it wasn't in a conceited or pretentious way, but I felt if I stayed at school, if I stayed in New York City for college, I wouldn't have gone straight through. I would have been auditioning. Uh, I would have been, I felt like I would have been- Distracted. Yeah, I really felt like I would have been distracted. And so, one, CalArts' program, pardon me, CalArts' program is very avant-garde. So you don't study any one methodology and that worked for me. So I'm a classically trained vocalist coming from New York City who also sings gospel and musical theater. I wasn't even going to audition for the, when I initially got into CalArts, it was only for theater. I was like, I'm done, not done singing, but I was like, I've done my vocal training. Like I need to take a minute and really just hone in on my acting. Love Worst it. decision I could have made. <laughs> I was mis- my freshman year, I was miserable. I loved the theater, but I missed the music. And they don't have a musical theater program. It was just life. straight acting. It was straight acting. So also something completely different than what I had done. Yes. I wasn't studying plays before. I wasn't annotating plays. I wasn't analyzing plays. I didn't know that world. I knew music. I knew musical theater. And that was my life. Um, and then my, my sophomore year, because I did the same thing in high school, like I just meandered into the other departments and I wound up in the music school because I had friends being musicians. Yeah. Spoke to the head of the department and it was like, I want to sing. He literally on the spot was like, sing an, an Italian aria for me. Yeah. I sang it and he was like, great, let's get you into the program. Yes. And Oh, del mio dolce ador. Yeah. Sing it, girl. <laughs> I didn't sing Odell. I definitely no, no, no. Sing. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, the California Institute of the Arts, it's in the city of Santa Clarita. Almost 74% white population in the area. 
you were coming from BK. Obviously, you purposely wanted to take yourself out of whatever your environment because that you were accustomed to because you didn't want to be comfortable. Sometimes you have to make yourself uncomfortable. Absolutely. But why not study at another fine performing arts program at an HBCU like Howard in DC? Still too close. It was super ah. close. Honestly, my dream school <laughs> my dream school was Yale and Yale didn't start their undergraduate program until mm. the year after uh, I started undergrad and I was Where you belong, girl. So I it was Yale or CalArts for me. Yeah. And two very different regiments, like completely different um institutions but i always was like ivy league ivy league ivy league that's what i'm gonna be and there just there were other plans for me and then i always loved california yes, and so yes. i knew that I, I i i was like no this is it's it's cali for me i need to i need to go away i'm an only child so i've always kind of just been like i do my own thing um i needed to go i needed to go away right. and, and right. come into myself as a woman yes Yes. Sometimes even the people closest to us subconsciously it's just noise and we need our own space, our own head space. Breathing room. What would you say was the most important lesson, theory, ideology, whatever that may be that you gained from your higher education that still serves your craft today? Um it's nothing too fancy, but it's just, it's staying committed to something. Um, I think that, especially for this, like my millennial generation, um, we are, we're opportunists and we are prone to doing 50 million different things and trying to do them all well. And what college did for me was ground me. It caused me to be committed and stay committed mm. to a very specific task in spite of everything else. It taught yes. me how to quiet the noise. Quiet, it really yeah. did, ta- you know, it taught me how to quiet the noise. And I move like that through everything. It's why I feel like I can multitask as well as I do because I had to curate my own curriculum, double majoring at CalArts. They didn't offer a, a program where you could be a theater major full-time and a vocal performance major full-time. So I literally curated my curriculum and I got so much pushback and, and, and still did it in the four years. So I had to complete all of the requirements for both yeah. years, still in four years. So yeah, it, it really helped me to streamline and just quiet the noise and focus on what's important. I love that. So for you, your art is your activism. You use your art to educate, uplift, and inspire change. Was there any artist in particular that inspired change in your life? I I I I grew up just Whitney Houston, Whitney Houston, Whitney Houston. I wanted to be Whitney Houston so badly. (laughs) Um, I just I just wanted to be Whitney. I wanted to sing like Whitney. I used to like take my jaw like Whitney until I learned that wasn't correct singing. Like there were just so many, I, I, I really like, I idolized her vocally. But someone's trajectory as a performer who I've followed and loved is Anika Nani Rose. Ah. And for those who don't know, she is the voice of Dream the Princess Girls, and the, Frog. the Princess and the Frog, but that's right. She was a theater actress. She yeah. starred in yes. Carolina Change off Broadway. She paved her way into film and television, then she did voiceover. Her trajectory is what I want. Like, and she I love did that. it. 
as a dark skin woman black woman yes community. you know or and, darker and skinned something my husband always says to me is he's like you know I don't I don't want you to just look at yourself as being a black actress or a black singer like no I want you're you to actress. know that you're, that you're great because you're an actress That's and it. then yeah okay you're black you know you're a singer yeah you're black and and that that always yeah with me, it's, it, go ahead no 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 in, in in that's where that's the goal right is to get yeah. to a place where you're not just a token of the show mm-hmm. but unfortunately sometimes it still is just that oh no we already have one yep um, we got one can't tell you how many times I've, I've <laughs> So yeah. how and your and while your husband is is absolutely right, hey Brandon, while he's absolutely right, <laughs> how do you how how challenging is that when you are told no, we've already got one? Because well, it, well you never you never really told directly to your face. Uh, <laughs> you never really like it's it's very rare. I mean, I have had some. I've had some very unnerving auditions where some casting directors have just 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 been wrong. But you're never told to your face, but there's just yes. a sense. You can sometimes walk into the room and know when it's like, okay, we're just seeing another one. Or you walk into an audition space and every female there looks like you. Yeah. Well, every single one. Let's do that. Let's You know what? Sometimes I am, you know, I'm just going to go audition for an all black cast packet. Cuz then I can at least in this point in time just be an actress. Mm-hmm. Just be a singer, just be marvelous. Right. Um prior to the pandemic you portrayed Mamie Till in American Theater Group's off-Broadway production of Till the Musical. Um again the recounting of Emmett Till's st- stolen, just literally he was murdered young age, um 14 years old, right? Um yeah. Told through the eyes of those closest to him, obviously his mother, Mamie Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Till Mobley, by the way, was a Sagittarius, fellow Sagittarius. Oh, you don't even, I, uh, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I went through that whole thing too. Like this character resonated so many well. Um, Mamie Elizabeth Till Mobley, she was an American educator and activist, uh, obviously the mother of Emmett Till. Um, who was murdered in Mississippi in 1955 at the age of 14 for offending a white cashier woman because he was hitting on her. she should be so lucky excuse me um you talked about how that 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 was one of the roles that changed you as an actor but how did it change you or affect you as as a being personally Um man this was see if we can do it without so, screwing up. <laughs> I know. <clears throat> um I that's why I was like let me just take a let's just take a breath and try to just summarize. Um man the one she was a woman of faith and that's why it, it's just it's so crazy that say right time like like every job that I got denied every no that I got it set me up for this because her life emulated just the way she was brought up her relationship with her mother her faith base 
I don't have children yet, but the investment, like I, I have God children. The way I invest in my God children, you would think they were my own. Yes. But um, her, her ability to forgive mm. murderers of her son, her innocent son, it, By the way, it shook me to yeah, my core. Yeah, yeah. And that and was for herself, right? For, her, for herself. You live with for that, herself. and then you're allowing them to continue ruin another life. You know, your art is your activism. You use it as a mean of education. Let's educate a little bit. <laughs> Emmett's assailants <laughs> were the woman's, the cashier's husband and her brother. I know when in, in the actual Till the Musical, we picked up, you know, leading up to it, right? Let's really talk about the pain that Miss Till must have felt. Her son was made to carry a 75 pound cotton gin fan to the bank of the Tallahatchie River. They ordered him to strip and get naked. They beat him to death. Pretty much, they gouged out his eyes. Well, they didn't beat him yet, beat him to death yet. He was still alive. Then they shot him in the head, threw his body, tied him to the cotton gin fan with barbed wire off it to the river. All horrifying. You can't imagine the pain a mother must feel for each one of those things that was done. What did you find most challenging? about portraying maybe such a significant story within our shared American Black history? What was the most challenging part? Just approach, approaching it from a place of truth. Because I, I don't I don't know what that is to send my child away reluctantly because she was not... Right. Not what was her concern? Mississippi. That, that he's going down to Mississippi. Yeah. Mississippi is a far cry from Chicago at this time. This is, we're talking 1955. It still is. So, <laughs> well, you know, so you're you're living in the in progressive Chicago where there is still segregation, yes, but Mississippi, deep South Mississippi, things are very different down there. And she's like, my son, he's never experienced this. She has done her best to shelter him. She keeps him in church. She knows where he's going. She knows when he's coming back. That's she knows so who he's her, surrounded by. She knows who he's surrounded by. So for her to not be able to accompany him on this trip and send him off, no, like not feeling, just having this, mm, I'm not so sure. And then yes. she gets the phone call. And, and in our portrayal of it in the musical, um, she finds out, you know, that he's that he's missing and she's like they have to find him like y'all gotta find him you gotta find him i'm going down there everybody leaves her the phone rings and it's the reverend who is her her cousin that um emmett was staying with and he begins to tell her like you know we found him and she has this moment of like release and rejoice and then you just see her crumble because what they say is we found him but he's dead and every night I had to, I literally fell apart on stage. You had like to broken. give, you had to be available I had to, to feel bear that. My soul. I had to feel it. And then I had to recoil, forgive these people and make a speech saying that I forgive them knowing in my heart. You wouldn't. No, 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 no. 
and 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 let 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 us let us not forget this is in 2019, so we're still in the peak in the middle. Oh yeah, the injustice that we are dealing with in America. Let, so let, like, you know, 2014, we had Tamir Rice playing in the park with a toy gun. 20 again, same year, Michael Brown, 18, Ferguson, Missouri, walking with a friend, Trayvon. Benjamin Martin, 2012, in Florida, Sanford, Florida, returning to his father after coming from the convenience store trip. That's all he was doing. Um, Stefan Clark, 2018, 18 years old, Sacramento, California, standing in his grandmother's backyard. His mo- he was holding a mobile phone, um, which we all know what mobile phones are now to police nowadays when a black young boy is holding it. Holding it was only 26, still a child. Uh, this past 20, Louisville, Kentucky, sleeping at home, shot eight times. So you're doing this in the middle of all of this. The in the middle of it. This. So I had to set aside my, you know, just acting one-on-one. You're breaking down a script. They tell you, like, don't judge the character. And this was a character that was so hard not to, not, not to not judge because she was just so good. Like, she just was such a good person and I'm like I I could I don't think I could have done it I could not have said I forgive these people who did this to my so your challenge was convincing yourself (laughs) yes how do I get through this line when I know I would never I can't like I don't have that I don't I I didn't know especially not when I was yeah (laughs) so quick question because I want to play cherish the child for us how do you even have you didn't write the show, obviously, so you don't have control. Were you nervous at all? Because obviously Leo Schwartz isn't a man, a black man. Were you nervous at all to perform in a show, acting in a story that was told through the lens of a white man about a black woman? Well, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this and take it quick and fast. Day one in rehearsal. We had to have some conversations, sure. and we and because the entire cast was black, the director was black, and we had to make it very clear that there are there are, there's a verbiage here, there's an undertone here that is not us, and if we're gonna tell this story, we're gonna tell, tell it right. Period, and it's gonna have to, it's going to have all the tones of our black African American ancestral history. You cannot whitewash this, right? By any means. Therefore, the we story gotta that confront. Was told, yes. It was, Very different. it was as true as it could be with us with us informing as much as we could and with as much change as we could Was he receptive to, to that script? Sort of. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> artists are artists are protective over their art. You are sensitive about right. your work. And when people come in and start, you know, making But you want your art to be authentic. Absolutely. So there, there was especially more, there if it's historical pushback. Okay. You know, but all, right. all in all, what, what was presented at the Signature Theater in 2019, you were happy with. Yeah. We we were happy with. So let's. I want to play real quickly. <laughs> let's do you it. You want me to sing? You guys, <laughs> you guys are listening to the Junkie Jam Hour right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are joined with the marvelous vocalist, performing artist, Danielle 
Marie Gray. This is her in till the musical in 2019. This is Cherish the Child. And we are still here with Danielle Marie Gray, and that was Cherish the Child. Now, going back to Leo Schwartz, he says the song um, Mamie and Alma sing about how important it is to love and cherish children. The story of Black children in America isn't one about being loved and cherished. Just the mere color of their skin, 
sends people into some, I don't know, makes people uncomfortable. (laughs) I just laugh because it's so fucking ridiculous. Excuse me for cursing. How important is for you taking part in works and projects that uplift and celebrate Black stories? And what impact do you hope that will have or does have on the youth? Um, It's paramount for me. I will always elect to do, say it like this, but like a show that will um, highlight highlight people of color in a positive light over anything else. And it's also what informs my decision to start my nonprofit. Um, yes. I'm a product of nonprofit arts education, and you know, I I I've worked with so many youth. I've I've worked with youth youth who are privileged. Like I've had the opportunity to work at BAM, Brooklyn Academy of Music, and then I've worked at Children at Megar Evers um, College, oh. Megar Evers Club, which is a elementary, junior high, high school, and they aren't necessarily afforded the same finances and funds right. that these other children are. And there's something about the hunger and the desire that those children tend to present over the ones who do have the exposure and are already in their elite institutions and such. And it's not to discredit either child, but I want to serve the underserved. You know, I want to pour into the child that may have the passion and the desire to do this thing, but not the resources. Because I believe that art can change children's lives. Like I have worked in a school that was just written off as bad, poor behavior in, in a horrible community. And I've literally watched these children shift in behavioral patterns because they had an outlet and it was artistic and it was something that appealed to them. Yes. So I think that's crucial. I think it's so important for us to pour into youth, for people who have the opportunities to pour into the youth, who, who have been afforded the, the opportunities. Let's pour into these kids. Let's help them, you know, like, yes. let's encourage, let's inspire. Yes. And, 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 and healing expressions through art, by the way, provides high caliber access to elite training in performance-based fields, not just those, again, not just for those in marginalized communities, but as you say, for those with an innate passion for it, right? It, so it's, it's just that. My thing is sometimes these programs aren't implemented until there's like, oh, we these children need an outlet. They need something. No, like yeah. provide provide the the access, provide the activity so that they know that they have an option. It shouldn't be a means to end a solution to the school to jail pipeline. It should no, already absolutely. be in place so that the school to jail pipeline doesn't exist, period. Period. And that's exactly what I mean. It kills me when arts funding funding is cut. And arts funding is always the first thing to go, especially within the public school system. And once again, I'm a product of public school. I didn't go to a private school until college. All my schools were were public and they all had arts programs. And I'm so grateful for that. Love that. And I love, and, and thank you so much for just opening up your heart to provide that because you know, not many youth-specific communities have that exposure readily available, like you say, arts programs, right? They're not readily yeah. available. You now, now, moving forward, obviously, you're not on this journey alone. You recently 
became one half of Mr. and Mrs. Hayes in October. Congratulations. Thank you. I know you will propose to him on your on your 30th birthday, which was December of 2019. You were married October of 2020. Most of your engagement was mired in a year of an epidemic. Danielle, what were some of the challenges you two found that you were navigating together? Mm. Um, a lot. Well, the biggest thing was we were still planning um, a destination wedding, which is actually still actively happening in yes. April of April of 2021. Um, and so having to, you know, I love celebrations. My husband, he could care less. But I, I love being able to celebrate my friends, and we weren't able to even Sharing celebrate. Yeah. Like we weren't able to celebrate that. So the fact that we were able to have our smaller ceremony in October, in October, and share it with some of our closest loved ones was so important to us. Um, but honestly, I think we navigated. It, 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 we did really well. I guess I was like, they don't know how we did it, but we did good. We were stuck together like we had to figure out what this looks like i didn't have work for a couple of months and that that kind of speeds up the engagement a little the experience right it is absolutely that was the date already set that date was already set yeah october 3rd was all was always so that time was already you know what we're doing this we have the date we've made arrangements um obviously it didn't happen the way you wanted yet Uh, but you did have a wedding celebration. How happy, though, were you that you were able at least to provide your loved ones some joy during this time and to celebrate your love? Oh, it was great. In a limited way? And No, it, we are grateful. Like, we always say we are so blessed and so grateful that we were able to still celebrate. I, I said love is not canceled, okay? Love is never canceled. But I, love is not. Um... <laughs> You say, people always ask you, how did you know Brandon was the one, if you know, if he was the man <laughs> of your dreams? And your response is always, he's the man of my prayers. You sought God for him. You specifically prayed for a man who not only shared your faith and the love of God, and who also had their own spiritual relationship, but that you could also call him for spiritual advice as well. You can pray together. Um, you say he would be your covering physically, spiritually, and emotionally. That's exactly who you prayed for, someone who would selflessly support you and your dreams. It's really dope because I'm with somebody who believes in me as much as I believe in them and vice versa. You know what I'm yes. saying? Like, And that's, that's so crucial. I've never felt that he would hold me back from my dreams. And that's actually what affirmed it for me that he was the one because he pushes me to continue, even if it means me leaving for a period it's of time. It's not leaving. just supporting you and believing in your dream. It's like, no, step, I'm going to help you step on that gas a little bit. Absolutely. Remind you again Absolutely. why you're doing this. And be he, uncomfortable. He compliments me. Yeah. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right, right. You also you played a role in the award-winning family musical A Band of Angels. Real quickly for our audience and some Black history. Um, that was an African-American uh, a cappella ensemble from the Fisk University, another uh, historical Black college. Black college. Uh, the Jubilee Singers. The first choir, the first people ever 
credited for bringing the Negro spiritual to a wider audience. Obviously, they weren't well received at first because all mm -hmm. people knew about African American performers. There weren't any. They were all minstrel white mm -hmm. people in blackface in performing blackface. their characters. Not only was it that a crazy idea at the time, but also Negro spirituals was something that was private, something it was only in their churches. It was a way to not just uplift each other, but also, you know, slaves had to communicate. What was it like taking part, you know, in this amazing story? Another historical black story. Um, that was my actually my first Off-Broadway production, and it was directed by Coleman Domingo, who is one of the most amazing people I've ever met, actor and director. Um, look him up. <laughs> um, but um, you hit the you hit the nail on the head. It's it's giving voice to the voiceless, like being able to portray a historical figure who traversed not only uh, like like state lines, but you know um, color color lines, like like broke broke barriers in a time where, first of all, black people getting an education was frowned upon. It wasn't something that was supported in the claim. So. Fifth University was one of the first accredited black colleges. Yes, so and, and they were going bankrupt and they needed a way to raise money. And they, so this is how the, the, the choir wound up being formed by a white teacher, a white professor at the who, who knew that African-Americans were just, and his goal was to make sure that African-Americans were seen just as intellectual, just Absolutely. as capable. Absolutely. Yeah. So to sum it up, pride. I felt proud to portray yeah. these characters. Um, yeah, pride. It's like okay. just being chosen to tell this story. And and what also made um, A Band of Angels very special is that it was presented, the audience were children, it was cool. We performed for, for children. They, they would come to the theater and it was predominantly elementary school and junior high school students. So we're, we got to educate these younger children um, and speak into their lives and then do a Q&A and talk back with them afterwards. And it was just really dope, like hearing the impact and what they received yes. from the, our story. Amazing. Part. And the Jubilee Singers, could you imagine living at a time where you were not able to perform on a stage because you were Black? Simply because you were Black. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. You're performing, as a performing artist, one of your models is I am full aligned in where I need to be. What does that mean? <laughs> exactly what it says. I'm I'm full anytime I'm performing, even when I'm not. Yeah. I'm full because I'm grateful that I'm in this, I'm at the right place at the right time, wherever that is. Even if I don't believe that it's the right place and the right time at the time. I believe that I'm always aligned with what I'm supposed to be doing. Yes. And if I'm not, I will be aligned. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. That, 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 that's really it. It's like, just claiming I, I, it, faking faking it till you make it is, this, is that cliche, but yeah, you, be, it, you belong. It's really all that means. You belong just like yeah. anybody else. Why not belong, you? Yeah. We're pretty much out of time. But since it is March, it is Women's History Month. 
commemorating and encourage the study, observance, and celebration of the vital role of women in American history. And as your t-shirt says, Black women lives do in fact matter. Black women, period, matter. I have chosen to highlight, obviously, um, Kamala Debbie Harris. She's an American politician, attorney. She is our 49th and current vice president of the United States. She's the first female vice president, the highest ranking female official, <coughs> excuse me, in US history. Okay. Hillary, you came close. Good for you. And the first African-American, the first Asian-American vice president. Um, listen, she's 56 in 16 years. I'm going to be nowhere near accomplishing anything else, Clay. <laughs> Is there any woman of significance you would like to give it a shout out to? Well, I, and I, I you know, she's no stranger to you, but I really want to shout out Miss Chante Bunda. Yes. Exactly. Because, okay, she's my cousin by marriage now, but love her. Um, not only is she a best-selling author, but she also... The writer, director, producer of the short film, Diving in Stilettos First, which yes. you played a starring role in. <laughs> was there any pressure to play someone you knew or someone you were so close to? 100%. I was so scared. I wasn't going to do her justice. I was so in my head. But we're so much alike <laughs> in so many ways that it was, it was great. It was, it was fun. So fun, and of course, just so afforded that opportunity to bring that story to life. Diving into the Littles first, if you haven't gotten the book, it is about a woman. Yes, she just so happens to be black. She's freshly divorced. It, it, it obviously hasn't worked out. Um, she is finding and navigating her, navigating her way through dating again. You know, she's and she's recounting these experiences. In Diving in Stilettos first, what I love about the short film, which will be released this spring, is that she emphasizes that you don't get through heartbreak, you don't get through this journey of life alone. Period. Right. Period. I love that. So shout out to <laughs> Dunbar. Um, now for everything about Miss Denny Marie Gray, you can find her <laughs> Um, on Instagram at Denny underscore Marie and of course her website is Danielle Marie Gray D-E-N-I-E-L-L-E-M-A-R-I-E-G-R-A-Y dot com dot com <laughs> everything we do here you can find out more information about us at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com and for everything I do you can find out more about me at JunkAndJam.com for those who are maybe just realizing their talent and they don't know where to start. Do you have any any particular mm -hmm. words that, that that touches you that you would like to share? Remember who you are and who you are. Walking into this industry, be so sure of who you are innately that the no's won't change you. The impressions and impressions of society don't change you. Be confident and be true to you and your gift will make room for you. This episode and all episodes of the Junk and Jam Hour can be streamed on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, Google Play Music, and simply tell Alexa, play the Junk and Jam Hour. Thank you.